Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world. Broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world. BlakeRadio.com. Music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. You're listening to Rainbow Soul. BlakeRadio.com. Infection, 
that can create an adverse outcome to the viral infection. So there's a lot of uh, kind of vague equivocation there. But the point is, an antibiotic kills or inhibits the growth of bacteria. This is this important. Now, this has been a strategy, a therapeutic strategy, uh, in the United States, uh, really, since about 1933. Um, and this strategy in uh, 20... Since 2013, has uh, been responsible for the death of more or less 100 Americans. Pretty big death toll when you stop to think that only 2.5 million Americans die every year from infectious disease. If you look at the list of causes, then you see most thousand are believed to die every year. Um, Flesh pneumonia. With a 2,000 figure, 35,000 die from antibiotic resistance. That means they won't die because antibiotics and antibiotic resistant infection occurred. In other words, because of the availability of antibiotics. That's an important thing to grasp. If someone has an antibiotic-resistant infection, the only way to get that infection is to have ingested antibiotics. And so antibiotics are actually responsible for more in the United States than all other infections combined. So this is this is something to look at. I think people need to understand this so we can focus our attention on something else called risk hydratic to understand is that you think that you're human and actually part of you is human, um, more or less trillion cells. However, you have 200 trillion living organisms inside your body that are eating your food and actually doing some things that are very helpful to you. And whenever you take an antibiotic, whenever you take an antibiotic, these organisms are destroyed. And these organisms, these 100 to 200 trillion organisms, are actually necessary to your life. So literally an antibiotic, which is, if you break it down, antibiotic life, you're actually taking a drug that destroys your life bit by bit, piece by piece. Again, having gone to medical school, I can tell you the medical Yes, but the good outweighs the bad. And so that's pretty much what we hear all the time. But yes, from medical intervention of 800 uh, death per year in the United States is a pretty lot of bad to try and outweigh. And again, in the case of antibiotics, we see that antibiotics are enough than in fact, in my mind, um, the bad appears to be outweighing the good here. So antibiotics, what we're talking about today is probiotics or probiotics favor of life and supporting life. What is a probiotic? Again, this is a uh, you know a dictionary definition. Uh, Maybe that for the sake of uh, a, a better understanding, we need to change the definition. Also, have been more uh, more research and more breakthroughs. So. I'll tell you, include that as definition. So what are probiotics? So products are live bacteria and for your health. It's best your digestive system 
and your body's full of bacteria, and probiotics are often called good or helpful bacteria because they help keep your gut healthy. All right, so that's the definition. And it's kind of out of the date because it's been discovered that viruses also be beneficial. Now, it's difficult to prove this, prove that, whatever, but the question is, how do we determine whether an organism is good, bad, or indifferent? Um, it's easy to tell if an organ ate because a person gets infected with it, they get a fever, they get sick, and some of them die. So, okay, that's a bad organism. What about a health or beneficial organism? These are difficult to unambiguously identify. However, one way of identifying them um, is the Biome Project, which is a, a project in the United States that studies the in health individuals. And so they isolated what they believe to be healthy individuals. They did a questionnaire, hey, are you healthy? Got any aches and pains, headaches, digestive disorders, arthritis, People who answered, no, I don't have any medical problems, were then suggested to a complete scan. People who had any abnormalities on the physical exam were eliminated. The blood test. People who had any abnormalities in blood tests were eliminated. Remaining people had a body cultured for bacteria. And so the bacteria that were cultured were then presumed to be true or beneficial. I think that's, that's you know, uh, fair enough. <coughs> and so um, the uh, probiotics or good bacteria. Now, it actually is even that's one way to determine it. Another way to determine it is to I bacteria and what products they produce, what waste products they produce. So if you inhale oxygen and you're going to exhale carbon dioxide, what you exhale dioxide is what you produce and a waste product. Okay, that was actually beneficial to trees. So we give trees our carbon dioxide, they make oxygen and oxygen. And so there's a similar relationship going on with our intestines with all of these different organisms. Now remember, viruses, yeast, and bacteria. So these are three classes of organisms, even more, that are, that are known to be beneficial. All right, so many people have uh, something called a B12 deficiency. Well, we know that Carini bacterium, which is a bacteria Similarly, in meats, um, this bacteria, it hangs out in your gut, has babies, and produces a waste product called B12. Well, maybe a waste product bacteria, but it's pretty important to people. And so these are things that probiotics do. So probiotics, they produce enzymes for your digestion, which breaks your cell more so that you can actually absorb it. Um, they create uh, vitamins, B vitamins. They uh, release body or help you use the minerals that you do have. They increase your absorption. The uh, good they also help you bowel movement so you don't get cut. So they do a lot, a lot of things. Now the other thing to do, they also, by the way, uh, control your uh, influence on that. So there's a lot of stuff that probiotics. The next thing that I understand is you absolutely cannot without these uh, 100 to 200 trillion organisms that inhabit your no can do. And so you just need to understand how they are. These are uh, important now, they also eat your food. So this is not a treat. Uh, they derive benefit by eating your food. So you are literally their host. They are your most welcome guests. And I, 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 
we take a look at what is life. Uh, as we nail down that Hufu uh, element called life, we're going to find it with these uh, probiotics. Where did it come from? I mean, I'm thinking, oh my God, <laughs> I need some of those. Well, that's why you're alive. If you didn't have any good bacteria, you wouldn't be listening to this radio show because you would be deceased. So, now, but where do they come from? Again, thank God for research. Lots of them done this. from your mother. Yes, your mother. And unfortunately, uh, doctors have been with um, So when uh, a baby is born, I'm just going to say this is an average mundane delivery, the head comes down, and as the head enters the compartment and pushes out feces, starts coming out before the head comes out. And how you slice it, and you can try anything you want to. As the baby comes out, he gets covered in feces. <laughs> Just one of those things. So what doctors do is they go to great lengths to make sure the feces starts coming out because the head's coming down. They wipe it away. Or even better, they give the woman an enema before she gives birth so that there is no feces in her intestines. Or better yet, if you do a C-section, pull the baby out through the abdomen, and the baby gets injured. What uh, probiotic slash microbiome slash bacteria? So this gives the baby a definite uh, disadvantage pretty early in life. Uh, your mother's doctor wasn't quite. Alert there, didn't catch a high, good bacteria from the mother. So that's one place. That's where it starts, and that's a very good start. Um, and you can get it from really um, all kinds of food, from raw food, cooked food, uh, fermented These are simply living organisms in your food that uh, it is. Next place is air. The air we breathe is filled with organisms. And a lot of them are actually pretty darn good. Uh, they're called fermented foods. And with fermented foods, you simply uh, have a food, good bacteria. This food attracts these bacteria from the air. They eat the food and they multiply, and then when you eat that fermented food, these good bacteria take a breath and do uh, helpful, beneficial things for you. Next is the soil. So soil is uh, another source of good bacteria. And there's an expression, which is a very old expression, uh, probably many decades old, we all have to eat a peck of dirt before we die. And a peck is actually a couple of quarts. But when you eat this soil, whether it's the little soil residue on your vegetables that you fail to rinse off, again, you get good bacteria. And also it's in the water. And so if we had a regular water supply in the United States, I say if, I mean, if people were eating from streams um, then they would get beneficial organisms and bacteria through that process. But many people, um, so so the people who are still getting good bacteria from their water might be, say, on well water. However, well water has its issues because of contamination in the groundwater. Tap water has its issues because it's chlorinated and it's filled with chemicals that kill any beneficial organisms. And one might argue it kills the bad ones too. Uh, that that's where things are. So those are natural sources of probiotics. Now another question is, who needs them? And again, everybody needs everybody needs probiotics. And 
another question is, well, who needs a supplement to get them? And the answer to that is not everybody. So it's my observation that not everybody, one, needs probiotics, or two, benefits from probiotic supplementation. And so everybody needs probiotics in terms of you need them in your body, but there are people who um, have managed somehow living in this world to have a supportive cadre of probiotics. So how do you tell? How do you tell who you are? How do you tell if you need one or if you don't need one? The first thing is how are you feeling? If you feel great and you're one of those people, you can check. There's this thing called Review of Systems and you can Google that. And it's a list of about 50 to 100 questions doctors are trained to ask patients. Uh, are you having any nausea, any vomiting, any diarrhea, any headache, any rashes, any aches or pains? On and on and on. So it's a long list of questions. And if you can honestly say to those questions, you know, I don't have any of those problems, then chances are that there will be no benefit to you of supplementing with a probiotic. Chances are that the helpful bacteria in your system are optimal. That means they're doing a great job. And so you should appreciate that, be thankful for that, and don't rock the boat. So that's one way to tell is if you're feeling good. Uh, Another way to tell uh, if you have to take the plunge is if you feel better when you take a probiotic then, okay, fine. Another way to tell is if you feel worse when you take a probiotic, there is a there is an indication that you don't need a probiotic. Um, some risk factors for needing a probiotic is a history of antibiotic use. Oh, yeah, antibiotic use. So if you have taken antibiotics, then it's a good chance those antibiotics have killed your probiotics, the ones who are helping you. So now, even if you have had an antibiotic in the past, it is entirely possible that your body has recovered, it has restocked um, its inventory of good guys. So how do you know? Well, easy to know because one, you feel good, and two, your antibiotic use may have been in the distant past. What's a distant past? There's a lot of discussion about this. Um, even among doctors in the medical profession, at what point do you determine that antibiotics are not a factor in a person's poor health? And what they said is, is if you're looking for an antibiotic-free person, a person who has not been influenced by antibiotics, then it would be a healthy person who's not used antibiotics, say, in the prior uh, 90 days. So to be safe, you could say six months. But that's the the present uh, definition in terms of antibiotic use. So if you haven't had an antibiotic in the last three months or more and you feel great, chances are uh, no problem. However, there are people who can take uh, one dose of an antibiotic and they can literally ruin their life, ruin their life. And it can give them a lifetime of headaches, a lifetime of diarrhea, uh, lifetime of abdominal pain. So there are cases uh, I'm aware of where people who use antibiotics or have been exposed to antibiotics have had just life-altering events as a result of it. So if you feel lousy, chances are, we should say the possibility that uh, an antibiotic may be partly responsible. So i got to tell you my experience with uh, probiotics. So back in the 90s, 1990-something, was when I first found out about probiotics. And um, I said, my God, these are awesome. These are great. I need to try these. I need to find out about these. I need to try them out. And man, I should be recommending these for my patients. And so I uh, took the plunge bought the $350 deluxe pack package from the uh, junk mail thing I got 
uh, at the office. I think it was a six-month supply back then. And I said, okay, I'm going to try these. I, I started taking them. I didn't get very far. I got to, I guess, the second day, and I broke out in acne. Those of you who've seen my picture online, uh, you might notice I have satiny smooth skin without a single blemish. And even in the 1990-something, I had satiny smooth skin without a single blemish. So when I took this probiotic and a pimple appeared, I said, oh, my God, this is awful. Well, this will never do. So I uh, stopped the probiotic, and I determined that I had probably picked the wrong brand. So I ordered another brand of probiotics. Took that one, and the same thing happened. And so what I say to people is if you experience an adverse reaction from a probiotic, however slight, then you don't need a probiotic. Just leave it alone. The other thing I would say is if you don't experience a benefit, uplifting, a feeling of improvement, um, maybe greater physical strength, greater mental acuity, or lessening of any affliction you have, then you may have a problem, but probiotics are not it. So probiotics are very helpful, and when they help, they really help quite dramatically. And when they're not needed, um, they don't help. And that's pretty straightforward. So you need to really pay attention to that. So the um, marketers who are going to tell you that you need to take a probiotic every day, by golly, um, there's, that just has not been my observation that um, taking a probiotic uh, every day forever is, is something that's beneficial. So the next question, of course, is let's say you decide that you like to supplement, that you like to um, take some probiotics. What I've found, well, first of all, let's talk about what the researchers have found. Researchers, you know, they've got all the answers here. Um, what researchers have found is that there's lots of probiotics. There's a lot of organisms. Um, viruses, bacteria, and fungi that are actually very, very helpful. And it runs into the hundreds. So you need to, if you're going to take a probiotic, take a probiotic that's diverse. It has lots of different organisms in it. The best I've found commercially available has like 25 or 30 organisms, which is a lot of organisms. But as you can see, if a person's basic probiotic population has hundreds of different organisms, then this type of supplementation is going to fall short. So what I recommend then is using naturally fermented uh, products. There's many different products and they each do different things. But first, before you supplement, you've got to create an inviting environment. You've got to create a situation where the beneficial or wanted organism is going to hang around. And that is very important. So first off is a diet free of antibiotics. That's right. You can't eat antibiotics every day and then take probiotics thinking that these probiotics you're taking are going to survive the um, ordeal. They're not. You're going to end up needing probiotics um, all the time, long term, and you're not really going to get the benefits from them. Now, so that answers the question of should you be taking antibiotics. But what about other sources of antibiotic in the diet? Did you know that 80% of all antibiotics ingested are fed to livestock? That would be cows, chickens, pigs, and believe it or not, they even inject fish. This is amazing. So antibiotics are really everywhere around you. 
And so the, the best thing to do is um, take an interest in your, your food. So antibiotics, where are they? If they're, in your, they're in your meats. So you want to check with your meats where are they coming from, who's raising them, and um, if antibiotics are being used at any point in the process. So antibiotics can be administered by injection, as in injecting each little baby chick with antibiotics. I believe that has been outlawed. So now what they're doing is putting antibiotics in the feed. So antibiotic can be in the feed, antibiotic can be uh, injected, and these are the basic uh, ways that antibiotics get into the, the meat. Now the other issue is, is this dairy. Um, a lot of dairy cattle will receive uh, antibiotics for mastitis. They do have a protocol that's designed to minimize the amount of antibiotics that make it into the milk. However, um, my observation in terms of people exposure to penicillin through milk is that it appears to be the drugs appear to be antibiotics present in the milk. How do I know this? Well, as a practicing doctor. I had patients who had penicillin allergies. Yes. These same patients who had penicillin allergies had mysterious rashes. And these rashes would go away when they stopped the milk. Milk, of course, being a possible source of penicillin. So you really have to check with where your food is going is coming from. And you can't just trust a large corporation that uses a term like organic. So antibiotics out of the diet, great. Now, when you eat a good bacteria, what's going to happen is that good bacteria is going to have a better environment. It's going to live long enough to reproduce, and then it will have babies. And once you develop a good population of good bacteria and you're nurturing them, then they can have babies and they have babies and they have babies and you don't have to constantly take probiotics all the time. So um, so it's important to create a good environment before you get started. So antibiotic-free, got it. Next, diet with fiber. This is important, um, not only because some good bacteria eat fiber, but because a lot of what good bacteria do for you is they grow, they have babies, and they push the bad bacteria out. Well, push them where? Answer, push them into the fiber. And the fiber carries them out of your body. So if you, if you don't have a high fiber diet, then your good bacteria can't be as helpful to you. So what's a high fiber diet? Uh, actually, a better term might be adequate fiber diet. So what's an adequate fiber diet? An adequate fiber diet, um, in my book, is where you have one salad a day. It can be as small as one cup, but one salad a day. And you have one cooked vegetable a day. So the salad is your raw vegetable, and then you have a cooked vegetable. And between the two of them, they can get things going. And if you're going to eat grains or starches or whatever, they should be whole grain, which means they have fiber in them, and that will <laughs> then that will um, that will help. I just want to mention to people that we have a uh, really awesome chat room going at healingwithdrdaniels.chattango.com. That's healingwithdrdaniels.chattango.com. Okay, you guys, enjoy the discussion. Um, so the fiber is good. The next thing you want is you want to diet with pretty high nutritional content. Um, so what's, how do you increase the nutritional content of your diet? Uh, the simplest way to increase the nutritional content of your diet is to stop eating processed foods. Foods that have been processed, um, separated, blended, mashed, or cooked before you get them have had a lot of the nutritional content removed. 
And so if you buy food that has not yet been uh, mashed, chopped, or cooked, in other words, buying an apple instead of applesauce, then you've already moved pretty high up on the nutritional content chain. The next step is to eat food uh, that has been fertilized with uh, something called compost. What's compost? Compost is dead, decaying matter. Um, Dead, decaying matter is filled with a whole range of minerals, a whole range of nutrients, and so this way the plant grown in that compost is actually going to have a higher nutritional content for you and for your good bacteria. So when you have a high nutritional content diet, then the good bacteria get more to eat, they get better quality food, and they can do a lot more work for you. Also, uh, many good bacteria work by amplifying the effect of nutrients that are in your diet. So obviously, if the nutrients are not in your diet, then the good bacteria cannot... um, be a benefit to you. So it can't amplify what uh, you don't have. Okay, so that brings us to what are some probiotics? What are some good probiotics? Uh, I'd like to start with what are some bad probiotics? Some probiotics that uh, I've seen my patients use uh, back in the 90s, and where I was really shocked to find out that they were bad probiotics. They look pretty good to me. One, which is famous, probably going to be a lot of uh, call-ins, letters, and emails on this one, yogurt. Uh, I would have to say yogurt is ranks like seriously low on my list uh, in terms of probiotics, and as Now, when I went to medical school, we were not trained to recommend yogurt for anything. That's back in the 80s. In the 90s, they were beginning to train doctors to to recommend that ladies take yogurt and put it into their vagina to offset the yeast infections from antibiotics. And some ladies actually did this. Um, So my uh, run-in with yogurt was, uh, again, the 90s. And as you can imagine, I had the whole... uh, health nut crowd. And so these people were using yogurt and uh, without exception, they we were having problems. Uh, headaches, asthma, um, aches and pains. And it turned out uh, after a while that it was clearly from the yogurt. And so it turns out that the yogurt, while it may have beneficial organisms in it, um, it has a pretty huge downside. So um, you can just dismiss that. The other problem with yogurt, I mean, if you read, you know, different sources of, well, you know, some yogurts have live cultures and some yogurts don't have live cultures. Eh, possibly. I mean, that's true, but that's not the problem. The problem is that people get um, some some pretty awesome negative side effects from it. So I, I don't ever recommend yogurt just because I, I don't want to hear about the side effects. Uh, that's one thing about yogurt. The other thing about yogurt is a lot of yogurt filled with sugar, with gunk, with additives, and with chemicals. And so just put a big X to the yogurt. All right, let's get to the good, the good guys. My absolute favorite, number one, uh, is sauerkraut. That's my favorite. The reason it's my favorite is because it has the biggest upside and the smallest downside. Uh, in terms of ratio. Now, there are probiotics that are actually stronger, I believe, than sauerkraut, but the downside is, is, is greater. So sauerkraut, what's the good, good deal about sauerkraut? Well, it turns out that um, when you put some salt and some uh, cabbage together and let it rot, or I actually like to put some water with the cabbage and let it rot, um, that it creates an environment that's very attractive to a diverse population of good bacteria. And they literally jump out of the air into your sauerkraut, nibble it up, eat it up, and uh, give you in return some very, very good bacteria. Now, those of you who've tasted sauerkraut, you will recall, it has a tangy flavor. This tangy flavor is the flavor of the good bacteria. 
And so, no, you do not need to add vinegar to get the um, sauerkraut started. All you need is salt, water, and air. And um, nature does all the hard work, all the heavy lifting for you. So people have asked me this question. Well, do I need to add some vinegar? What about some lemon juice? No, 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 no. And so uh, you let it ferment. depends on where you live. If you live near the equator like I do, it takes about three days. But if you live uh, up north where you get snow, it can take 10 days or even more. And so what is sauerkraut good for? Sauerkraut is excellent for increasing the flow of your bile. In other words, it helps the liver release toxins. This is a very, very good thing. The next thing that sauerkraut does in uh, higher doses is it helps your bowels move and helps clean out your body. Um, My favorite thing that sauerkraut does is it scrubs out the uh, toxins that hang out in your tendons. So between um, the muscle and your joint is a tendon. Usually it's about mm, three inches between the uh, from the joint towards the muscle. It's, it's mostly tendon. And in this area, you can have an accumulation of toxins that can limit your range of motion, um, that can limit your ability to stretch. And so I love sauerkraut because it can free up a frozen joint, uh, frozen shoulder, and it, it does it easily without causing the person discomfort or um, or side effects or problems. So the great thing about sauerkraut is it, it really uh, scrubs those joints out and loosens them up and increases the range of motion. That's my favorite application. Other things sauerkraut can do is it can settle your stomach, it can calm it down, and sauerkraut juice can even give you a sense of well-being. In other words, as you sip the juice, you feel like, ah, it's an incredible feeling like, wow, this is wonderful. And so uh, sauerkraut, my favorite. How do you start with sauerkraut? Well, of course, everything depends on who you are and no two people are the same. But you can start with a tablespoon, just take it and see how you like it. And so um, if you take a tablespoon of sauerkraut, it does not agree with you, that's it. Stop. Go no further. This is not the probiotic for you, number one. Or number two, lack of probiotics may not be your issue at the moment. It may be you have the other issue, which is too much, too many organisms, in which case you need to release some of your organisms before you bother with any probiotics. Um, at all. So sauerkraut is, is great for um, for those things. Like I, said, I, I use it mostly for uh, for joint issues, uh, for helping people free up those frozen uh, frozen joints. I personally just started this when I was uh, doing yoga and you know you always want to get a little more stretch, a little more stretch, hold that yoga pose. Um, and I found that if I drank sauerkraut juice, then boom. I could get an extra inch or two or even three inches of stretch. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. And you don't get any kind of discomfort like uh, fever or whatever. So sauerkraut, yes. Now, I do not eat the sauerkraut. I do not eat the sauerkraut. Why don't I eat the sauerkraut? I don't eat the sauerkraut because, one, I'm after the, I'm after the um, probiotics, which are in the juice, not in the sauerkraut, number one. Or two, um, the volume of sauerkraut uh, that one would need to eat to get a similar effect is pretty high, and and that can be um, it can just cause you to feel uh, bloated. So if you take the kraut with the juice, then it can it can just bog down your system. If you just drink the juice, it just it, it gives you a feeling of freeing up your system unburdening your system, feeling somehow, you know, more more energetic and more capable. So I personally do not eat the sauerkraut. I have a friend who loves the sauerkraut. So I make sauerkraut, he gets the salad part, I keep the juice. And um, that's perfectly okay. So 
So as far as eating solid sauerkraut, you know, there's not any particular health benefit to it. You know, if you're if you're German, you're raised eating sauerkraut, and you like the sauerkraut, then uh, go for it. But I don't I don't recommend it because I'm just recommending it for health purposes and the probiotics. <laughs> All right, uh, next probiotic, kefir. Wow, kefir is something else. All right, kefir um, is interesting. Kefir is a more diverse probiotic. So um, kefir has bacteria in it, has fungi, and uh, viruses as well. Very diverse um, probiotic. And basically it's made by taking uh, kefir grains, and these grains are put into a dairy product usually goat milk or cow's milk. And fermentation is allowed to take place. Now, before all this happens, generally the cow's milk or goat's milk is uh, sterilized. Why? Because you want the organisms from the kefir. You don't want the organisms from the cow or the goat. And so the um, kefir organisms dissolve into the uh, the milk or the dairy product and, and eat it. And they produce babies and babies and babies. And the final product is something that's thicker than milk but thinner than um, than yogurt. The taste is is not as sour as yogurt. So it's got a milder uh, milder type taste. So being here in Panama, and um, there's this artisan individual who makes kefir homemade uh, on his goat farm. I said, oh, what the heck, I will try kefir. Well, let me tell you, kefir is awesome. It's awesome uh, because in my case, I noticed I was physically much, much stronger. So for years, having been vegetarian slash vegan, I would go to yoga class and I would stretch and I would do the best I could with whatever I was doing and I would try and do um, Pilates classes and I always reached a very low plateau and I can only go so far. Even worse, after one hour class, I'd have to go go home and take a five hour nap. So for years, I would struggle with this uh, situation. But once I took kefir, wow, that was it. I could um, exercise, I was physically stronger, I could do more, and I didn't have tiredness afterwards. So kefir is a major, um, you know, power uh, powerhouse there. It actually gives, these organisms can give you physical strength and physical power. The other thing about kefir is uh, it can also help with, uh, you know, with with your memory. It can help with um, fatigue. But the big thing about kefir is is the physical energy. You can actually feel your body. It's almost like um, you've got these cylinders that are just firing and they're they're coordinating, and you can just do a lot more. So that's a good sign. So why isn't everyone eating kefir? And why, how come I'm not eating it anymore? <laughs> well, hmm, kefir does have a downside. Uh, even though it has all these good things going for it, it does cause congestion, just like any dairy product. So you're looking at stuffy nose, you're looking at coughing up phlegm. Um, and I guess if I kept on long enough, who knows, I might have got a respiratory situation. But the other thing about kefir, if you, again, keep taking it and you push the dose, you're going to get aches and pains in your small itty-bitty joints. That is your toes and your fingers. So those are the problems um, with kefir. So what do I tell people about kefir? My recommendation for kefir is if you are having uh, fatigue, strength, energy issues, kefir is probably a good idea. And how should you take it? Again, start with a tablespoon build up to somewhere around a quarter cup to half a cup uh, either with or before meals. 
Now, the other thing that I did is I put honey in the kefir. Obviously, you put honey in the kefir. First of all, well, it's honey, it is sugar. But on the other hand, the good bacteria get to eat the honey, and uh, they get to multiply and multiply your, your effect. So the downside of kefir is, uh, like most berries, that can contribute to joint problems. On the other hand, it definitely contributes to um, physical strength. So the key then is to take it in a low enough dose so you don't suffer, and a high enough dose so you get pain, so for, you get benefit rather. So for most people who have um, physical weakness issues, they're usually able to tolerate a high enough dose to give them benefit and relief. So for that, I would say kefir is you know it, it's definitely good. But if you have an active uh, sinus problem, if you have an active ear infection problem, an active lung problem, then kefir is probably uh, probably not for you. Next, kimchi. Uh, disclaimer here: I hate kimchi. However, um, kimchi. Is, uh, is a fermented product. How does it differ from sauerkraut? The biggest difference is the spices, uh, particularly the cayenne. So it has uh, cayenne, it has ginger, uh, so an assortment of spices in the kimchi. Some people cannot tolerate it. They have allergy reactions to it. And so that's the reason not to take it. And the reason to take it is um, it can give you physical energy and definitely increase in those... Uh, and joint joint mobility. And so those are my favorite probiotics. And that's what I would recommend people consider for probiotics. I do have Dr. Daniel's recipes for healing. Um, and in that cookbook series, there is a recipe for sauerkraut, a recipe that I use myself. Okay, we have eight minutes left. Which means if I can click the right tab, I might be able to find some questions. Okay, so uh, this is a good time for questions. So I'm going to go check the chat room, see what's going on in the chat room. Okay. All right, we got questions. Does Dr. Daniels? think there is any real physical mental benefit to exercising. <laughs> okay. She has mentioned before she's not a fan of exercise, but I'm wondering why. There's two reasons. One, I just personally don't like it. But two, exercising is depleting. And so before a person embarks on an exercise program, they really have to increase the nutrition first. Most people don't they get this backwards. They decide, ah, uh, you know, uh, I want to be healthy. I'm going to go exercise. And then they go and exercise without attending to giving their body the um, nutrition it needs in order to exercise. And so they actually end up damaging their health. We see this especially, I see it especially with, with heart patients. And they actually compound and worsen their health because they don't attend to the, the nutritional requirements their body needs in order to exercise. It was like me all those years uh, doing yoga and exercise classes for an hour because I thought it was good for me and then feeling exhausted for five hours afterward. Obviously, I had uh, some deficiency that needed to be attended to and uh, the kefir solved that problem. Okay, kombucha. What about kombucha? Well, you know, I've tried kombucha, and uh, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who use kombucha or have used it in the past, and I just haven't really observed any. Um, well, first of all, there's two kinds of kombucha: there's homemade kombucha, and then there are many very nice commercial kombuchas. Okay, so let's talk about the homemade kombucha. Well, with the homemade kombucha, I found that the sugar content is just like way, way too high, and it doesn't really. Uh, deliver in terms of results. That's the homemade kombucha. Then there's the commercial kombucha. The commercial kombucha, um, I found it's actually not bad. Um, 
people who have uh, chronic disease find that, that it seems to help them quite a bit. But again, I think with the kombucha, what I found with kombucha is that people adjust their diet and their cleansing. Um, they can get as far, the same results that they, they, they got with the kombucha. Okay. All right. Okay. Since when does food have a dose or a dosage? Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you for asking that question. Food definitely has a dosage. You pick the food, you can overdose on it. So yeah, there is, uh, especially when you're using food for a medicinal application, definitely has a dosage. And I would definitely urge anyone to pay attention to that. So if you have, if you're using a food medicinally to improve your health, then you should start with a certain amount, smaller the better, build up, and you're going to reach what's called an optimal amount that's going to give you the best amount of improvement. If any further increase in dosage does not give you any improvement, then don't increase the dose any further. If you want further health benefits, you need to increase the dose of another food because all the foods work together. So the deal is if you don't feel perfectly healthy, there's actually a food you should be eating that you're not eating. And that's where we get into dosage. So what you need to do then is say, okay, I'm eating all these foods there's food over here. I'm not. There's something on this list that's missing. And chances are, if you're feeling lousy, there's something on that list that's missing is what the problem is. For example, I was vegan for decades, actually. And one day I woke up and realized that uh, I was exhausted. I just could not get out of bed. And once I got out of bed, I couldn't stay out of bed very long. Yeah, maybe five minutes. I had to go back to bed. And I realized that something had to be missing. And so I made a list of everything they ate. Everything organic, all vegetables, no processed foods. What's missing? I'm not eating any animal products. Let me try that. I did, and boom. Uh, energy came back. I was no longer uh, confined to my bed. And uh, I'm living happily ever after. So, yes, uh, Food is medicine. It does have a dose. Most people, though, uh, you know, wherever you live in the world, if you eat a diverse natural diet, uh, unprocessed, not chemically altered, not genetically modified, then you'll do fine, usually. But, of course, things happen, and then um, you have to make, it, make adjustments. So if, if something happens where you get out of balance, and obviously you have to pick the correct food to get back in balance. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if Dr. Downs is back yet. Yes, Dr. Downs is back from China. In fact, next week's uh, program is uh, about China. How? What's the source of that good health? That is next week's topic. Now we have time for one question online here. Let's see. Hi, you're on the air. Your name and your question, please. Yeah, my name is John Delia from Syracuse. Um, Hi, John. I, uh, how are you? Good. Hi. Good. Uh, look at I I I'm I'm I started taking kefir about two uh-huh. two and a half weeks ago. The I've, I have the milk kefir and the water kefir, and I noticed uh-huh. I, I always I had always had recurring sinus, little just minute infections, and it would cause me to have a, just a little bit of a hacking cough. And since I've uh-huh. been taking that, it's it's disappeared, and I I actually which feel better. What are, are you taking? Both. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got some for free, and then I just uh, the the milk kefir, and then I said, "Geez," uh, and, and then I read about water kefir, and so I sent for some, and I got that, and I make it, and uh, you don't have to worry about anything. It just eats uh, sugar, or if you have fruit juice, yeah. So you don't I have think to the, wor- the water kefir is the better 
for people who have a, you know, a sinus type problem. And and that's actually uh, a good point. You can actually make kefir in uh, in water, in milk, and some people even make it in um, coconut uh, coconut water. So that is it. We are done. And I will see you next week, and we're going to talk all about China.